Welcome to another episode of the Triple F Podcast. Joining me today is a special guest, a real estate investor out of Boston. JP, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jay. JP, you have a very interesting background and I, you did a guest post for us a while back. You're a really young guy and you've accomplished so much in real estate so fast. If you could go back and retrace your history and basically how you got started with real estate investing and what your motivation was for financial freedom. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I went to college for uh, kinesiology, uh, intending to get out of college and become a physical therapist. Uh, shortly after that, I realized that physical therapy might be a little bit too boring for me, um, so I decided to get more hands-on with personal training um, because I was always passionate about fitness, and uh, it just felt like the right career path for me. Um, so, you know, I started off as a trainer in 2008. I worked at a Boston sports club, typical box gym, and then had an opportunity to start at a smaller training studio um, in downtown Boston, which was just a phenomenal location I couldn't pass up. And it also gave me the opportunity to leave my parents' house and move into the city. Um, so at that time, our, our business was pretty uh, struggling at the time. I mean, it was 2008. Uh, so I think as a studio, we were training around 20 personal training sessions a week, which was just not enough to even come close to paying the bills. Um, so um, I, I kind of had a hand in the business and started working with the owner at the time, uh, managing and uh and trying to push the ball forward and eventually we became very successful and I uh, was able to buy in as a as a 50% owner of that business and then um, years later I also bought a uh, second business, a massage business, which is a floor below that, uh, the personal training business. Um, and the way I got into real estate is I had a few people in my life, uh, my uncle George for one, who, who bought a lot of property in Cornish, New Hampshire. And uh, he had this flexible lifestyle that I didn't really understand when I was younger, I guess, where he would, uh, he was a realtor, but he'd pretty much come and go as he pleases. And uh, he bought a place in Key West. He had a place on Lake Sunapee. And uh, so I, I picked his brain and over time. Uh, I picked other people's brains. And uh, one of my greatest quality in that respect was being a great listener. So instead of trying to tell him what I know, uh, I was able to absorb what what he knew. Um, so having some of these models in my life was probably a big part of it. Um, but another big piece was uh, the idea of the FHA uh, mortgage. Um, so after uh, after learning about the FHA, which is putting down 3.5% on a property, I decided that with my measly 40 grand a year salary working as a personal trainer, uh, I think at that point I was still managing the business, um, I was only able to afford a $200,000 condo in an up-and-coming area um, called Davis Square in Somerville. Uh, so I actually went through an entire uh, short sale for about a year. Uh, in that time, I met a girl, uh, and for some reason, after you know maybe six or so months of dating, we wanted to, well, I guess not for some reason, but uh, we ended up wanting to live together, and we said, "Let's let's uh, cancel this short sale, and we'll we'll figure it out." So we rented a place in the North End uh, of Boston, and then decided that uh, we wanted to buy a place a year later. Um, so when we we were looking for a condo in the North End of Boston, and we could honestly afford uh, together, which was a beautiful thing. We could probably afford something for you know three fifty to four fifty because my girlfriend at the time had a uh, high salary in the insurance business, 
Um, so I, I was talking to a client of mine that I was I was training, and I told her I wanted to buy a condo, and she said, "What are you doing?" She said, "You you can buy a multifamily property. You can live there for free, and then you can move back to your condo." Uh, or buy a condo after that and, and maybe live for free off of that too with your rental income. And that kind of flipped a switch in my head a little bit where I thought, why would I be buying a condo if it's only going to be you know, a liability going forward when I could buy something and, and live for free? And uh, because my now wife had a, a high salary um, and I had a, a pretty decent salary at the time, we were able to go in together on an FHA property, um, or not an FHA property, but to use an FHA mortgage, and the numbers made sense. JP, was the concept of financial freedom already playing in your mind prior to when you first got started and started looking at rental properties? Uh, I don't think it was there yet. I didn't know that there was actually a potential for that. Um, I, I was planning for financial freedom at probably the age of 65. I started maxing out my IRA. I uh, was just saving as much as I possibly could. I remember having to make a $90 or write a $90 check for a basketball league and thinking, man, I wish I didn't have to spend this money. Um, so it, it wasn't there, but it was, I was going to be there at some point and I was planning for that. So I was maxing out my IRA and saving, uh, you know, into a 401k and some other investments. Um, but I didn't know that there was that potential. Um, and I, I think it was when I started, uh, when I read the book, the four hour work week, when it really changed my way of thinking. And I thought to myself, man, I don't have to work until I'm 60. I don't, you know, I can travel the world in my 20s or 30s and uh, not be a slave to a desk job. And I mean, I'm not at a desk job. I'm working as a personal trainer, uh, and you know, at that time, owning a studio uh, where I had full flexibility. I mean, the business doesn't do as well if I'm not there, but I can still go on trips. I can, uh, you know, leave in the middle of the day and and get a haircut. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't there yet, but I think once I realized the um, the financials of multifamily investing, everything kind of changed. When you first got started with real estate, did you know that it was a good time to buy? Was it through your conversations with maybe your uncle or some other mentor that kind of guided you in that direction? Um, I don't think I don't think there were any mentors that uh, really touched on that. Um, my business partner was also, uh, he owns, I think, 70 or 80 uh, rental units in downtown Boston. So he was another influence. Um, and he actually, a uh, little side story, he told me that he went to a wedding in Somerville when he was a kid, and uh, or he was like 17, and he said it was the nicest wedding he's ever been to. And he asked, what did the, the father do? And uh, someone said, oh, the father has 70 properties in Somerville uh, that he rents out, and that's how he's, he's created this wealth. Um, but uh, aside from that little story, I don't think I really knew that uh, the market was in a, a beautiful place to buy. I just knew that properties were affordable for me and that the numbers made sense. So like if you look at the, uh, you know, there is still some steals you can get out there. I know in East Boston there, I've looked at some properties that, uh, you know, maybe a two family that could profit 1500 a month, uh, like one I bought last year. Um, but aside from that, if you want to live somewhere where people want to live, you're not making a profit. You're not even, um, you know, living for free while renting out one or two other units. Um, so the time that I did buy allowed me to start thinking about the financial freedom. If I bought in 2006, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. 
Market timing is especially important in areas such as Boston or San Francisco or New York City. When you first got your first property, you mentioned you were living rent free. Can you briefly touch on what those numbers actually turned out to be and what you were renting the other units for? Yeah, so I wasn't um, I wasn't actually uh, living for free. I was living close to, to free. So when we were searching for properties, I, I actually saw the spreadsheet. Uh, there are at least 12 to 15 properties on there. And we were trying to, uh, we were coming from renting in the North End for 1600 a month, uh, split between the two of us. And for some reason, I don't know what it was, but I wanted to be no more than 600 out of pocket while living in a place, uh, renting out the other unit. So um, the property I have in Somerville right now was our first purchase, and we were going to live in the bottom unit, which just happened to be uh, a pretty decent unit that was recently uh, refinished. We were going to rent out the top unit, and the top unit, uh, according to the appraisal when we bought the place, was going to rent for 1400 but obviously those appraisals come in low. So we rented it for 2800 initially with a mortgage of 3400 which kind of met my criteria, um, you know, if you don't count water bills and, and some other expenses, uh, but it pretty much met my criteria. Uh, a year later, it was rented for 2900 A year after that, it's rented for 3400 And right now, it's actually at 3400 um, and probably valued at more like 3800 but we have some awesome girls upstairs that uh, we want to keep around. Um, and our mortgage, after a few refinances, is now down to 3200 a month. And that's a good point you bring up there with the rent increases because I think a lot of new investors who get started, sometimes they're so fixated on day one cash flow numbers that even if they are able to locate a tremendous deal, they're not able to pull the trigger because they don't see the potential and the future upside. Right. And I consider myself extremely risk tolerant, whether that's a good thing or not, uh, we're yet to see. But with this property that I bought in Somerville, the top unit, the second unit, uh, had shag carpet in most bedrooms. Uh, the kitchen basically didn't exist. There was a, a metal sink, but there was an old stove, uh, no countertops. Uh, and the place, it was an absolute mess. So the before and after pictures I have of this place, um, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, but I knew that based on current rents, even just going on Craigslist and checking rents in the area, that this place wasn't renting for 1400 a month once it was finished. I think we put 15 or 20 grand into it um, from my wife's bonus that year that happened to come in at a perfect time. And uh, we put that money into it and rented it for 2800 But there was, there was no sure bet. You know, there was no one saying, oh, this is 100% going to rent for 2800 a month. It was just my own calculations and this thought that, man, I got to I gotta buy something because, you know, things are changing a bit. You know, it was, it was at a time in uh, the end of 2012, early 2013, when people started showing up at open houses and there were multiple offers on properties. And uh, one of my friends who's my loan guy actually said, you know, if you waited an extra couple of weeks, I'm not sure... I'm not sure you'd be able to find a place. So, you know, I, I told the story in my guest post about the inspection mindset. And uh, because I knew this place was going to be so great and because I knew there's some great potential for the area, I, I didn't care that the house was tilting to the right. I didn't care that there was, we found out that there was no heat in the top, uh, the top floor and the kitchen and the living room as well uh, right before closing without any contract from the seller, which is silly. Uh, we installed heat. Uh, electric heat just to get the appraisal value where it needed to be and we closed on the place 
For your first property, did you go out of your way to find something that was distressed? Uh, we were looking, uh, we started off looking in a, an area we definitely wanted to live, one of our favorite, uh, favorite areas in Boston, which is uh, Davis Square in Somerville, so right outside of Boston. Uh, coming from the North End, which is a gorgeous area with all Italian restaurants, uh, we found ourselves, uh, when we were renting there, we'd leave to go out to dinner in Davis Square. Uh, we looked at places at that time that were seven or eight hundred thousand, uh, three families that needed more than twenty the twenty grand we were going to have from my wife's bonus, and uh, we were just kind of hoping for the best. And I think it all would have worked out because every property we were looking at at the time has now gone up so much. It'd be a great time to buy. Um, so most of the properties we looked at, um, looking back on them now, uh, we had offers in on you know probably five to ten properties over a few months of looking and they've all done really well um, so it's just a testament to the timing and how important it is but we did still have to look in areas that weren't ideal for us we, we moved to a place called union square in somerville um, that you can look up on google and find that you know all new restaurants are going in and um, right now there are some issues with the the uh, train extension that's supposed to come in but those are budgetary concerns that will probably be resolved the next four or five months and we'll be back on track but it was an up-and-coming area with uh, a kind of shitty rental unit um, and you know I sold the wife on it because uh, we were able to live in a, the nice uh, a nicer unit on the first floor how long after your first rental property you know now that you're moved in you're living in it you're renting out the the top unit how long before you kind of realized this is a really good thing and I should keep pursuing this um, well so I think we bought the property December 13th, 2012, and then in May, um, we got the property valued at uh, 100 and, um, actually 200 and, uh, 180,000 more than what we bought it for. So at that point, we knew that we had some, some strong equity in the property, and uh, by talking to a good friend who was a, a loan officer, he told me that if you refinance out of your FHA, once you have enough equity in that property, you can have that in your back pocket to buy another property with an FHA. Uh, the only concern is that for that next property, you still have to live there to be qualified for an FHA. Um, so after getting that value on the appraisal for the refinance, uh, we decided to uh, take out a home equity line of credit and buy the next place because we didn't have we were pretty strapped financially, which is a good thing for listeners or newbies to know. Uh, if you don't have a, a job you're comfortable with, or if you don't you don't have a safety blanket or you know a couple of retirement accounts that can protect you, uh, you, you might be in trouble if things go bad. Because we've had some issues with properties you can't even imagine. I'm probably going to write a book someday just about the the tenant and uh, and water issues and, and other problems we've had. Uh, but yeah, we were able to move out after about six months to a year of, of living here and moved into uh, another place that was an FHA property uh, where we used the equity from this place to buy that. There's a lot of power with the FHA loan in the sense that it lets you leverage up. And like you mentioned, with the appreciation, you're able to tap into your home's equity to fund the next purchase. This is something I think a lot of new investors and listeners don't really have a full grasp of. When you say you're purchasing the first property at 3.5% down 
and the property appreciates, how does that actually play out in terms of getting the next funding for the next property and the loan to equity ratios and those type of things? Yeah, so I think uh, what we needed in order to take out another FHA, we just needed to be out of this FHA mortgage, which means at that time it was 15% equity we needed in the house, which we more than covered. And then we were able to go on uh, to, buy, to take out a home equity line of credit and buy the next place. But if I think right now the number is, uh, it's either 20 or 25% uh, equity. So if you have 20 or 25% equity in your current house that you're living in, and it's an FHA loan, you can refinance out of that FHA and buy another FHA in another location. You just you have to live in that uh, that next property. Some people think you don't have to, and you can you know uh, keep a uh, mailbox in one location and pretend you're moving there. But I, it's it just gets a little scary. So we actually went through the whole thing. We moved to a much uh, worse area that uh, you know we thought had some potential from a casino going in. Um, because it, w- it was also so close to Boston, but we had to to move to an area we wouldn't want to live necessarily. Um, and I had to, you know, I've had many conversations uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and we were buying properties without any sort of ring promise or anything like that. And we were splitting them 50-50. So if she, if you, I mean, if you're with someone that doesn't have that mindset uh, or doesn't trust in the numbers. Then you got you have issues uh, in investing. So hopefully you're either single and you make you know enough money to support a multifamily purchase, or you have someone that you're with uh, that trusts in the numbers. Uh, yeah. So I, the the point is, once you have enough equity in your current FHA, you can refinance out of that, put that in your back pocket for when you want to buy the next property. You do have to move to that next property. So we ended up moving to the new property, lived there for a year realized that we had even more equity in our first purchase that we moved back in order to take out another home equity line of credit uh, for even more. So at that point we um, bought, well actually it gets into a little more detail with uh, depleting a Roth that I had going because I thought it was worth it. Uh, Turns out it was and we bought a third property in East Boston. Um, So what I did was a lot of playing with uh, financing um, I just had this this drive to get to the next property. Um, it was almost like a blind will to just to get there, to get to at least three properties. And right now we're in a position where we're trying to maximize each rental unit so we have the, um, the greatest rental income in each property rather than rushing into a next purchase. Um, also because the market right now doesn't, um, wouldn't allow for the same kind of appreciation that we have. Uh, from these properties and it wouldn't allow for the same cash flow we have right now and i also don't have uh, that much cash sitting around so it kind of all works out uh, to just stick with uh, the three for now and try to renovate each unit do you have a cash flow target for each unit and when you were first starting your journey was there a certain amount that you were aiming for each month because i know a lot of people on the quest to financial freedom, they say, I want, you know, X amount of cash flow. Maybe it's like 3000 or $4,000. Um, did you have anything like that when you were starting out? Um, not really. I mean, I, I thought it was great when we were profitable after um, moving out of our current house and then moving back in, we were profitable yet again. And now we're even more profitable uh, with the property that we bought in East Boston. Uh, but I didn't really have a target until... I started reading uh, Mr. Money Mustache blog. I mean, your blog, of course, 
um, and just you know, I think Financial Samurai was on there. But uh, Mr. Money Mustache with his um, just talking more about the expense side of things. And as soon as you can cover your expenses with your passive income, you're typically I mean you really are financially free. You probably want to have a nest egg. You probably want to be comfortable. But right now, I know that our discretionary spending is at 3,300 a month, which is way too high. Um, and that's after you know you take out a few car loans, you take out some credit cards. Um, it comes out to around 3,300 a month. So for the next two years, if we pay off credit cards, we pay off those car payments, and we can get our passive income up to 3,300, we're financially free. We might not quit everything and uh, you know get, go sit on a beach. Because there are expenses to that too, but at least we we've made it. So right now the, the goal is thirty three hundred a month. I'd really like to be past that because you never know what happens. Um, you know, you never know if there's a leak coming through the roof or a house burns down. Um, so you want to have more of a nest egg than that. But the short term goal is thirty three hundred. JP, that's a tremendous amount of progress that you've made in a very short amount of time. For anyone starting out today, you know, without the benefit of the kind of appreciation markets that we were fortunate enough to get into, would you say that this model is still viable today? And would you still, starting out today, would you start out with the multifamily units or would you cater to, to something else perhaps? Um, I mean, you can get into the Airbnb rental thing where you run a place like a hotel. Uh, that's not really passive income, though. Uh, you kind of have to manage that a little bit more. And you also have the issue of other condos in the building not enjoying what you're doing with that, um, you know, or it's against the, the condo policy. So aside from that, I would uh, recommend uh, either, you know, looking in a different area or waiting until things settle down a little bit, maybe in the spring. Um, but I looked at a property, sorry, I Googled a property or found it on uh, Redfin, a real estate website. Though uh, I think it was 400000 in East Boston and it would profit at least 2000 a month. Um, so I think there are still properties out there. You just have to potentially move outside of your comfort zone, like I had to do the first time when we bought our first place. Like I have a friend who's, who's wanting to buy a place right now, and I was elated to hear that uh, he was looking in areas that uh, were cheap and he wasn't trying to buy in a you know, Somerville or Cambridge or downtown Boston. He was looking in Malden, East Boston, Chelsea, uh, because he needed to be realistic about the fact that that's what he could afford and that's what could cash flow right now. Because there are still areas around here, uh, you know, in the Boston area that will appreciate, maybe not at the same rate they did with this, uh, with me. But if they're cash flowing currently, uh, you know, enough that you can hold out for a better time, uh, where you know there is some appreciation, um, then I think yeah, I think those properties are still out there. Now that you've been doing this for a few years now and have some experience under your belt, tell us about some of the challenges you've encountered. I had a call from uh, a tenant uh, last year when I first moved this guy in, and he called me and he he said, "Hey, hey, JP, I want to tell you something." I said, "What is it, Wayne?" And he goes, "I've been smoking in your apartment." I said, Wayne, no, no, you can't smoke. And he said, yeah, I just wanted to be up front with you. Turns out the guy is smoking in the apartment. He happens to pay rent on time, and he said he's going to be there forever. Um, but issues like that come up. I mean, we had, we've had a leaking roof. We've had a leaking ceiling uh, from a pipe with a nail through it. Uh, we've had mice in a couple of units. Uh, the property we bought in East Boston, um, we had bed bugs living in the, the heaters or the 
um, the water pipes because uh, it's water heat. And we didn't know that until tenants moved in. They said, hey, we have bed bugs. Um, you know, so we've had, a, we've had a, all kinds of issues. We had a tenant who left a freezer in her driveway because she was shipping it to Haiti uh, for a profit. It was part of her business. And a, a guy drove by as I was mowing the lawn one day, and he said, hey, do you want me to take the freezer? And I said, yeah, sure. And she called me um, when I was at a bachelor party later that night and said, and where did you put my freezer? And, and freaked out on me and, and tried to get me to bring it back to her house. Um, so you have tenant issues. You have house issues. Uh, we had three water heaters go this year. Can you handle it? You know, you hear people that say, um, you know, about properties and owning properties. Well, what if the water heater breaks? I mean, it's $500 for a new water heater. It's $300 to get installed if you have a good plumber that's not overcharging you. So these aren't huge issues, but a lot of people can't handle the small stresses in life. They're too, um, they're too focused on the negatives and not focused enough on the positives. Um, so, you know, you first want to start investing in something, you know, the stock market, uh, IRAs, index funds. Um, but while you're doing that, look into properties and, and think to yourself, if you're the type, you know, to get a call at 2 a.m. on a Wednesday night when you have to be up early the next morning for work and someone says that the closet smells or that something really drastic happened, like, you know, the roof is leaking, it's pouring into their place, um, which is the call we got on the 4th of July two years ago. Can you handle that? And that's great that you're sharing these stories because a lot of people mistake in real estate and sometimes they get so fixated on the numbers. They think it's always going to be so glamorous. But like you just shared with your stories, you know, the nitty gritty details in the day to day, it's not always going to be a smooth ride. And that's something that's also especially important. You have to budget in enough reserves for CapEx and maintenance issues and vacancies and, and all that sorts of thing. JP, is there a reason that you don't outsource to a PM? Because um, like you just heard, I, I like having good stories to tell. Uh, so, uh, I mean, the, the, I have a property manager that, uh, or I don't have one, but I was in a networking group with a property manager and he said, Oh, let me manage your properties. It'll be 25 bucks a unit, which is really, you know, pretty cheap. You know, most places are charging eight or 10%. Um, but this guy was just going to charge us per unit. And, uh, we even went on our honeymoon and he was helping us out uh, while we were away. And we got back and he said, hey, so can I manage your properties? And I, I told him I'm just not ready for it. Like I, I enjoy managing properties. And um, there's, I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard the term stress, but doing things that are challenging for you um, make that beer at the end of the week taste that much better. Um, you know, so I think if you, uh, if you outsource some of these things because you're so busy, because you're working, that's fine. But for me, I have a flexible schedule. I can run over to a property if I need to. Um, but actually, having said that, uh, and with the whole financial freedom dream of potentially leaving for a winter or spending a couple of weeks away every month um, during colder seasons, uh, we're, we're trying to make it so that we actually don't have to go to our property anymore. All we have to do is make the call to someone with a key or with a lockbox on the property to go over there and fix whatever's happening. So I have different people in different uh, neighborhoods that I've networked with, uh, my friend Jose in Everett, um, this guy Silvio in East Boston, people that will go over there and fix something minor and send me a bill for $27. Uh, my electrician is licensed and charges $35 an hour, and so he'll come over to fix a doorbell and he'll send me a bill for $90, which is unheard of. So I, I've networked with enough people that I can disappear 
as long as I have access to a phone, I can go to, you know, Abu Dhabi for two weeks in the middle of winter without a property manager and call my, um, you know, call a handyman or call someone to go over to these places whenever that happens. So it's, and it's still fun for me. Like my business partner who I mentioned, he's in his sixties. He's worth about 60 million. And, uh, according to him and he manages all the properties himself. He has an assistant that helps him, but I've, I've been meeting with him and he's gotten calls from two or three tenants during that time. He answers the phone, the phone point blank without any sort of emotion and says, yeah, I'll handle it. Your pipes burst, I'll handle it. It's not your pipes burst. Oh my God. How, you know, how is this going to happen? I'm going to go curl up into a ball. You just deal with things. You just kind of handle things as they come and you take care of them. Um, So that's, that's why we don't have a property manager. I think it takes a certain personality because this is obviously not going to be well suited for everybody. Like you mentioned, some people, they just can't take bad news and, you know, it drives them crazy. It stresses them out. But if you can handle it and you know it's the cost of doing business, it can be rewarding and it can very much be worth it to do it yourself as opposed to hiring a property manager. I know in my own case, I, I self-manage my own local units and I'm, I'm involved in some partnership deals and we actually use the opportunities to go out there, you know, to do some minor rehab repairs. And it's kind of like this opportunity for me and my friend to bond. We're, right. we're all so busy. If an issue didn't arise, we actually wouldn't have a reason to kind of go see each other. But when something happens, we actually, um, you know, the other day we were fixing um, some kind of faucet problem. And I don't even remember doing the work because we spent so much time just talking. JP, what's your outlook for 2016? Um, I, I'm probably going to uh, continue to take a break from property acquisitions. I think I'm going to wait until things settle down a little bit. Uh, also, I'm just rapidly paying off debt. Uh, when I mentioned that number of 3300 a month, which is our uh, our income, our discretionary spending, uh, that number is without uh, credit cards and, and car payments and other, other uh, automatic payments. Um, so I am paying down those cars as fast as I can. Uh, I'm paying down uh, credit cards, which were all credit cards taken out to uh, to fix rental units or to put in hardwood floors, um, you know, not always the smartest decisions. I'm happy it happened the way it did, um, but just another reason to have cash going into it. Um, so you don't come home to your wife crying on the couch saying we don't have any money yet again, um, you know, and then you have to take out a credit card to put in a hardwood floor so you can rent out a place. Um, so we're paying off debt pretty rapidly. Um, to the point where in the next year or so we should have all of our debts paid off and then that number of 3300 a month of discretionary spending we can play with a little bit maybe I don't need to buy a four pack of beer for fifteen dollars um, you know maybe we can tweak some things like that but um, right now I'm just I'm trying to uh, to pay off debt and then do some some investing on the side um, I feel pretty good where we are right now our net worth, not including our businesses, um, could be argued, uh, I don't know, seven fifty to nine fifty, anywhere in that range, based on what our properties are actually valued at. Um, so I'm I'm comfortable taking a break from investing because I was so gung ho for the last two or three years, uh, and now we're going to look at other options. Like I mean, I've, I bought some mining stocks, like you recommended in the past uh, few days. Um, and I might even, once the market bottoms out, I might just get into index funds for the next uh, three or four years, just build some stability there. Um, and, you know, if there's another potential of a market crash in another eight to 10 years, maybe I'll sell out 
like I did with my uh, IRA. Um, but yeah, that's the plan for now. Sounds like a great plan, and you're willing to take a step back and kind of let the situation stabilize. You mentioned paying off debt. As it pertains to real estate debt, do you have a preference one way or another? Are you trying to aggressively pay down those mortgages as well, or along the lines of, you know, these are really good 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, and I'm just going to let my tenants pay them off through through the years? Yeah, it's uh, what you mentioned second there. I would... Uh... I have no intentions of making double payments toward mortgages or anything like that. I think over the course of 30 years is fine. And if you think of it, uh, for anyone getting in early, and you take out a 30-year mortgage if you you know if you're 25 when that starts, um, regardless of any like refinancing, you're looking at that being paid off when you're 55. And for me, um, you know, with 12 grand a month in income from my rental properties, and then high mortgages, once those mortgages are paid off your retirement plan is looking pretty awesome. Um, not to mention, you know, if, I, if our properties stayed at their current values right now, then we'd have an, a guaranteed uh, $2 million in net worth at the end of 30 years. So I have no intentions of paying off uh, mortgages more quickly. I would rather take that money and put it into back into the property, into the rental units to get them to rent for more, to increase our cash flow, to, to speed up the amount of um, or to shorten the amount of time we have left uh, doing mandatory work. That's uh, that's that's my plan. I, I have no intentions of paying it down early. I feel like you can get a better return taking that money and putting it into something else. Because we we think short term. You know, if you're a fi- if you're fighting for financial freedom early, whether it means you're quitting your job or not, we're thinking more short term and we're thinking cash flow on a monthly basis in order to sustain our lifestyle. Um, so we're not, I have no plans to pay those off early. And who really knows where inflation will be in 30 years, right? I mean, if you're getting 12K a month in rent right now, I mean, that's going to be a much, much, much larger figure 30 years down the line. Yeah, you would hope so. JP, any last words of wisdoms for listeners? Um, so related to financial freedom, it, it became kind of an obsession for me. Um, and I did realize there is a slight paradox and I think you've realized it I think everyone realizes it at some point um, but what you don't want to do is you don't want to have to work for 40 to 60 hours a week um, at some dead-end job or some desk job for the next 40 years of your life um, you also have to see the other side of when people do finally retire sometimes they go back to work or sometimes they weren't uh, happy in their retirement I have a client who's 75 and he's he's kind of slowing down a little bit and I asked him you know, was he happier when he was working at the hospital as an admin, uh, as an admin assistant, or is he happier now, um, basically doing nothing all day? And he said he was happier when he was working because there was a social aspect, um, there was the structure of it. Uh, both of my parents retired uh, from their teaching careers within the past two years, and both of them went back to work within one year because they got so bored. And I think part of the issue there is that they don't have enough passion and they don't sorry not enough passion but they don't have enough hobbies or other ideas you know I told them why don't you start a business why don't you come up with something you enjoy doing and and try to make a little bit of money from it um but as um as Mr. I think it was a quote from Mr. Money Mustache but he said you don't need to stop working you just want to end mandatory work because that's sometimes when you do your best work so um so this idea that you need to rush out of working uh, you really just need to set your plans in place to be able to 
to have the option to work and then you can potentially do something you enjoy more than what you're currently doing um yeah jp thank you so much for your time yeah thanks